you can't end the podcast on a cliffhanger, Dave. I would say that when we set this competition a couple of weeks ago, I could have probably put some money on the fact that a topless mage would have won it. <laughs> yeah, sorry. But no, 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 don't apologize. It's going to be a topless mage, let's be honest. Like that, it was a picture. What I was really looking for was a human pyramid on the bench <laughs> um, involving lots of people all very drunk because the drunken pictures on the way down are the fun ones. Yeah. But I'm going to give special dibs to... Um, I'm going to give a little presents to two of them and one present for the big one. Uh, and then I'm going to do it that way and include a card in each one. Do Christmas cards. One for the middle finger to give to a friend to cheer her up. We'll get one with a card uh, and it'll be a kitten on it. I'll make sure there's a kitten on the card doing something cute and, or just a picture of a kitten in this thing, a laminated picture of a kitten. Yeah. Or any time they're feeling angry, just to look, get it out and look at it. Yeah. Rebecca's for the quantity. The arms, the, the things, the passed out man, the mm. casual leaner, the smiling, mm. the happiness. This is, from the looks of it, they've all got their bags with them. Yeah, they were on the way up. This is on the way up. Yeah. And the first trip on the way up with the bags. Oh. Mm. Oh. So they're my three winners. His name is Craven. He likes white ravens. And he will always use them to reduce your gold. His name is Dave. He cancels saves. He likes to make the opposition have bad days. His name is Tom. He plays for fun. And if you beat him, then he'll put you in the face. It's the UK's fantastic podcast. This episode's the worst, so it's probably the last. With unopposed to claim banter. It's banter behind the throne. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of Banter Behind the Throne. I'm your host today, Dave Bamford, and I'm joined by Tony Makos. Say hello, Tony. Hello. And our guest today, Jack Machen. Say hello, Mach. Hello there, Dave. Fantastic. Um, Peel can't join us at the moment. He got in to find out that his internet wasn't working. If he manages to fix it, then he will join us later. But as it is, we shall have to steer this ship without him. So... Today, we will be talking about the Archmaster's Key chapter pack, which dropped just after we came home from Starlek. And then, once we've discussed the cards we like and hate in that, we will move on to discuss the House of Dreams agenda, which is coming. The House the house with the Red Door, which will be in the chapter pack, launching next week. Uh, we'll talk about how much we used to love it, how much we're excited to play with it, and Mate will tell you his own personal style of playing House of Dreams decks. So, before we get started, how are you guys? how are you guys doing today? Not too bad, not too bad, sir. As uh, as I was saying earlier on, the weather is affecting everyone in the country at the moment, but it's not too bad up here. I know it's worse down south where you guys are, but this is the uh, perils of living in a Western European country in December. Um, but gearing up for Christmas, so that's a good thing. Have you got all your presents? No, no. We're so skint this year that we've kind of decided not to get anyone presents, whether they like it or not. <laughs> uh, we kind of did this last year, and it's becoming now a tradition. Oh, a nice Christmassy tradition of never getting it. <laughs> uh, no, nah, it won't be quite as bad as that. But uh, we've got a few things here and there, and we are in the house. We we will be spending Christmas uh, together, kind of on our own. If you can spend Christmas together on your own in the house, because very other family are tied up in various places uh, around the country, and it's going to be great. Fantastic. Very much looking forward to basically spending the day eating and drinking and playing games. What about you, Mitch? 
My mate. Well, I'm going to be driving all over the country. Well, mainly Preston down to Newark, seeing all family Christmas Day. Mm. Uh, I'm very well. So winding down work for Christmas, you know, just mm. trying to keep it. Uh, take it easy where you can. We're, we're on target for the month work wise. So. Yeah, it's it's all all nice. Excited to be on Banter Behind the Throne as a as a full guest for the first time. I'm sure that's not true. That is true. I've never been on as like a main guest. I've only been on as like Christmas party episodes and the the silly long ones that no one ever listens to all the way through. <laughs> I am almost 100% sure that's not true, but I'm not, I'm not sure how to check it. <laughs> <laughs> and what possible reason would you would we ever have had? Or what would you? ever have had to have Mitch on aside from him just being a lovely fella in general but oh there wouldn't have been a reason why would you have had him on yeah you've got to achieve something or do like well at a tournament to to get on whereas I just kind of turn up and be gobby were you not on the Paramore Invitational one even for like five minutes yeah that's what yeah. I'm saying I've, I've been on it before as like five minute guest spot five minute open mic everyone signs up for that this is my fully fledged all the way through the episode. Let's hope we don't come to regret asking you. <laughs> yeah, find out uh, if I'm never asked back. Yeah, this could be the fa- one of the, another famous lost episode. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, on March the 11th, 2016, I posted episode 34 of Banter Behind the Throne, which was titled I Ordered Chips. And the description is Mage joins Craven and I to talk about the weekender. Batala and help give away some swag. Oh yeah. And it's the it's the episode where Craven had got robbed and we were discussing the feedback we had had from our listeners where I basically burnt all the ballot papers and Craven was disgusted at my <laughs> tyranny. <laughs> I remember what that is now. You interrupted me before I said in that sentence, this is the first time I've been on as a full guest since Tony joined as a host. <laughs> Fuck off, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'll allow that because you talked about me. Um, but in all honesty, you can remember what happened 18 months ago. You know, it's a long time. But n- next time you come on, mate, if we ever bring you back after this, you know, <laughs> emotional betrayal, maybe you'll be on an episode for the whole episode with Peel, which hasn't happened. I've never been on with Peel except for a guest spot where we talked about Christmas films. I think that was the Christmas party last year. Yeah. Mm. I would assume if we were to talk about Christmas films. That was last year, yeah. Yeah, it would have been. Okay. Well, after that, I guess we'll, we'll move on. Guys, what do you think to the Archmaster's Key chapter pack? Do we like it? I'm just stunned that we're talking about cards. It's been a long time since we talked about cards. We've always, always had loads of other things to talk about. You know, Stalic and Blackwater and events left, right and centre. And it's been a long time since we ever, since we kind of knuckled down and said, so, cards, what are they like? What do they do? Are they any good? Are they shit? Should we just skip them then? <laughs> just skip them and go straight on to House of the Red Door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chaps pack's okay. But buy it because you'd be stupid not to. That's, <laughs> if you're a collector, this is definitely a pack you should have. <laughs> if you're a fan of six-pack cycles, you should definitely buy this one, otherwise you'll only have five. No, in all seriousness, there's some uh, there's some right bullshit in this, and there's some yeah, there's some solid stuff in in this. I mean, there's a there's a few things I would be delighted to talk about, and I will do that in a second. Mage, what do you think about this? Uh, I I do like it. I like the I like that it's got 
decent Martel cards in it as my primary house. I'm I'm very excited for the Water Gardens. They seem funny as. And yeah, you know, a bit of long game economy for Martel because we were really struggling with economy before now. Well, there is also economy for the longest possible game in this pack, right? Because the Iron Bank's in this. The Iron yeah. Bank is the longest possible exponential economy for a game ever in that if you have the iron bank out from turn one and keep it till plot eight you should have 64 128 gold on it that kind of thing (laughs) which even the mightiest combo deck can't possibly find any use for (laughs) well you got tywin though (laughs) i win the challenge by five (laughs) yeah if you want a 135 strength time in Atlantis. So the Iron Bank is for you. <laughs> it's kind of a silly card, but I kind of weirdly appreciate them printing it. It's kind of nuts. You can you can use it with what's that bounce event? The things I do for love to bounce like a hundred cost character. Yeah. If if that was appropriate, you could you could bounce three seven costers. This is like the only. Can you though? Is, do you have to do your faction card for things I do for love? Yes, you do. Fuck's sake. <laughs> yeah, shit, yeah it, I was all for it, and now I think it's shit. <laughs> I mean, yeah, somebody will find somebody will find something fucking stupid to do with it. I mean, it means that if you're playing a kind of bouncy deck, uh, if you're playing with Orphans of the Greenblood or whatever, you can afford to bestow them every single time they come in. You can bestow anything when it comes into play ever, mm. you know, because you've got a shitload of gold so anything that you're flea bought if you're flea bottoming in your begging brothers or whatever then you can always afford to like whack three gold on them immediately i believe there was a kind of weird little people were asking about whether you could use that gold for bestowing or not and ffg had to clarify whether that was the case and apparently yeah it's fine you can just treat it like it's properly you can move it and spend it because the difference between the words move and spend a while but but yeah silly card but i kind of i approve I like the idea of valoring on like turn six or seven and then dropping like a million seven costers. Yeah. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> I've got my dividends. <laughs> my yeah. ice has matured. Bounce <laughs> carrot in your favour. <laughs> Collect 128 gold. <laughs> the interest rates are absurd though, aren't they? How long of how long in real life is one fate one turn supposed to last? Do you reckon? Is it like a week of political and military machinations? It depends what decks you're playing. Right? <laughs> yeah, because presumably, like, if you flip the long winter as you plot, it's that's an entire season. That's and that's true. many years, right? In, yeah. In, yeah. So that, that round is many, many years. <laughs> same, for, same for unexpected delay. It's going to be longer than a, a round where you haven't flipped unexpected delay. Mm. Mm, the oh. delays, the, the key there. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. With something like sneak attack, which would be absurdly quick round. It's a very good interest rate, much better than the long winter. And the long, the long plan was a plan that was about twenty years in the making, right? Yes. Because it was dead children and Martel shenanigans left, right, and centre. So, mm, who, who knows? I've never really thought of how how what every every card you flip, how, <laughs> how that's supposed to kind of relate to real time <laughs> how long does tears of bliss take to kind of have its effect because if we know that time it's say does it take a, da- a day to die from tears of bliss that's that's a, and good a challenge one. phase i'm going to say a challenge phase is longer than a day i mean obviously a military attack 
depending on whether you use an army or not, well, definitely doesn't take very long. But intrigue and power, well, they could take ages. You get battles that last from like sun up to sundown, and then they carry on the next day, don't they? If you're battling with armies, then that could take that could take days. Yeah. If you're having just a little kind of joust, then obviously that's going to be over in seconds. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Name day tawny. That's a, that round lasts a day. Well, the best part of a day you got it's going to be working day, right? Nine to five. <laughs> right. It's not going to go on till eight nine o'clock at night because you lose the light. And yeah, and, but it's not name night tawny, is it? <laughs> True, or an evening tourney, but you you certainly lose the light. But you don't want to be jousting if the sun's kind of going down, and you know um, that, that low sun could get right in your eyes while you're jousting. Yeah, um, yeah. With the helmets on, you know you can't see much anyway, so you're going to be wanting to do that round about midday. So yeah, name day tourney does kind of imply that as soon as you flip it, then the challenge phase lasts a day. But yeah, as you say, unexpected delay. Who knows? I'm glad we cleared that up. <laughs> All right, all right, Dave, what's your favourite card out of this, then? My favourite card... I don't know. Um, I, I, I agree with Mage that those Martell cards are awesome. They are shit hot. They might make me want to play Martell even more than I already pretend to want to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 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 they're, so they're my favourite cards in the pack, which is also good because we're the ones that spoil them. Uh, and we want to apologise to our listeners that we got them later than we would have liked. Or we realised we had them later than we would have liked. And so we didn't get a chance to spoil them. So sorry for that. But I hope you enjoyed them as a little present while we were having a great time in the castle. Yeah, we did spoil them from Starlight Castle. So they were they were done on location. Yeah. I was going to say, someone complained that our spoilers were fake a couple of weeks ago, didn't they? They were just like, are these spoilers fake? It's like, no. <laughs> I mean, we've lied about spoilers. We've spoiled them in foreign languages. We've not read the text. We would just fake them. <laughs> I like the fact that no one thought those ones were fake, but as soon as we publish ones that are just a little bit boring and rubbish, people are like, oh, these, are, these aren't real. They can't be real. They're not nearly interesting enough. Yeah, I think it was the Stark ones, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the Stark ones. They went, oh, these Stark cards are boring and shit. There's no way to print them. They must be fake. <laughs> God. Okay. I'm, I'm also pretty excited to play with uh, Naga's Ribs. Yeah, the Drone Men deck, the Drone God deck or Drone Men deck or whatever, want to call it is becoming a proper thing now i've played against a few of them online yeah they're annoying as fuck i mean they do involve getting up obviously three or four cards it's a it's technically synergy not a combo or whatever um but once uh, once you get your acolytes out and your naga's ribs or and your uh whatever the other one that you sacrifice to kind of bring something back in the dead pile and your in and damp pair and all that once you get all of them out it's kind of tough to do much about it really yeah, they, they they save the characters alike and then they kill the characters they want to kill. Yeah, can win in a couple of turns actually. Well, can win. I've seen it win by kind of turn three if they get all the acolytes out. They they'll win dominance every time. So Barra has a really tough time against a Naga's ribs deck. Barra has a tough time against everything though at the moment, don't they? Yeah, Barra's shit. So I <laughs> so everyone keeps moaning about. I'll get to that. Right, what's well, man at arms though? When that's back, Barra will be great again. Yeah, especially if it has text that's the equivalent of deadly. <laughs> I was like, what the fuck is that? Anyone involved in a challenge with this card will die, unless <laughs> their text says exactly the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what's pretty close to the equivalent of deadly? The force reaction on Magnemite. Ooh. <laughs> Segway. Yeah, kind of. So that is my favourite card in the deck, right? Because 
of the untold amount of bullshit that it's, that card unlocks. It's absolutely hilarious, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I love it. It's being incorporated in combo decks left, right, and center, uh, especially the Brienne Voltron, because you basically they basically just need to figure out a way to get Magna Mighty as the top card on their dead pile, and then they Lord Renly's ride the shit out of it. Which is really easy to do. Yeah, the funniest way to get Magna Mighty in your dead pile is to do a challenge of Magna Mighty and then kill Magna Mighty with his own reaction. <laughs> <laughs> and you've got um, Last of the Giants. You can put him put him in the dead pile in marshalling. Yeah. Ready to go. Loads of ways to do it. Um, it's just such a lot of fun. He, I mean, he doesn't tend to stay on the table very long, what with Valadares, which is also in the back and uh, being played left, right and centre. But uh, when he's out, oh, it just just causes absolute havoc. It's just it's just great stuff. I can't wait to kill bastard daughters with Magnemite. <laughs> like that's gonna. Sometimes when I'm holding two bastard daughters, I'll hold one back for the next turn. But now he's going to play them both out and Magnemite, <laughs> and then one for my military claim, one for military claim against me, and then another one for Magnemite. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's going to be so good. I've played with him in a pretty terrible Barra deck, which uh, which has Barra have ways to kind of mitigate being killed. You know, they're th- with their uh, Spears of the Burning Kings and your Davos, which will bounce back to your hand, or you can kill your own Shireen Baratheon to nail something on their side. They don't mind some of their stuff being killed, or if you can bounce some stuff back to hand. Uh, and that deck was awful, but God, it was funny when you managed to pull that stuff off. <laughs> I'm really, really, yeah, really enjoying it. I mean, he's, yeah, he's a seven coster. He's not. He's by far from being a good seven coster, but he's. Uh, I think he's absolutely freaking hilarious. He's the funniest seven coster. He, he is. He is. And I don't think enough people rate funniness on like not enough cards are rated on how funny is this. I think up till now the funniest seven coster is probably uh, the mountain, right? Because of his random, his pure random randomness. And this, yeah, I think this eclipses it. I mean, Jesus, get them both on the board and, uh, hey, hey. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah. I win a military challenge with my 21 strength. I have two renown. And then it all goes, it all goes. <laughs> <laughs> no, it all goes before the renown. Uh, it hit, Mag goes first. Gregor can go before renown. Yeah, up to you. No, he's, he's great. Uh, Helen's been whiteboarding, shall we say, and uh, the possibility of running. <laughs> Running Magna Mighty in a deck using the the White Shadows, right? Yeah. No one, no one's ever played it, right? But the White Shadows says that whenever you kill a character on the other side, it comes into play on your side, but blank. <laughs> yeah. So she has this idea of basically um, running mag- running a Wildling deck that has Magna Mighty and some Chuds and obviously Craster, and so when it kills things on the other side, it comes into play on your side. Uh, anything that you've had to come on your side, uh, regardless of what what it has been in that in that phase, you can then crash out your dead pile because nothing has died, nothing is in their dead pile in, in the challenges <laughs> phase because you've got it all on your side. <laughs> so it's, it's pure nonsense, but the uh, you know it's the thought that counts. Oh yeah, I think that is the first almost good suggestion I've seen for uh, the White Shadows. Which is great. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. You know, when you say that your wife is whiteboarding, mm. I'm imagining, you know, the uh, It's Always Sunny scene with Charlie Day 
in the post room with all the <laughs> I'm imagining that with that exact look on her face as she walks in she's just like this is gonna work this is good tech it's not good tech Helen that part is good tech the part that has economy and large renowned characters the rest is nonsense <laughs> <laughs> little bits of string between Cresta and <laughs> Mag yeah yeah it's 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 a, it's a bit like you know yeah, she has she has one of those cork boards with basically just lots of cards and lots of uh, yeah, lots of red string tied between <laughs> one and the other. And there's, there's regularly a montage in our house, you know, of basically just her staring at it and then kind of slamming books down on the table and just just wiping the entire top of a table clear going, Damn it, you know, it doesn't work. Back to the drawing board type thing. <laughs> And they were Costas, so close this time. Yeah, was, and then Costas comes around and just goes, no, it's shit, none of it worked. And she, and she gets a bit kind of down, and then she goes, ah, but now I have a better idea. And the whole table gets wiped, and then she starts again. Especially <laughs> when she starts talking about running Magnum Mighty with, uh, with Jon Snow, another seven-coster, along with... There was another seven-coster involved, I think, at one point, and you know, we're like, where are you going to get the economy for that? She's like, oh, God, yeah, good point, good point, good point. Ah, maybe that's what the Iron Bank's for. You know, everyone puts their head in their hands and goes, oh, "Okay, we'll come back when you're we'll come back when you're done." Yeah. Well, if you've got Mance, then you only have to pay six for Magnum Mighty. Yeah, that's true. Oh, ambushing him, yeah. just die. <laughs> I'm going to win this military challenge <laughs> <laughs> with my 11 strength ambush character. What's the hound? <laughs> it's just a shame the White Shadows is uh, isn't a winter plot. I always thought it was a plot, but it's an omen apparently. Which is a bit shit, but never mind. But yeah, they're 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 the funny cards. Speaking of Barra, the Barra cards in this pack, I think they're all right, and I've been having a bit of fun with them. I've been playing a Barra Rose deck with uh, with green cards. Yeah, no one cares about the green cards. There's a few green cards in there. You know, Marjorie Ty, the new Marjorie Tyrell, but the old champion Marjorie Tyrell, she's fucking great. But these these guys, I mean, the Queen's Men, grand. The best thing about the Queen's Men is even if you don't have any uh, non-Barra cards out, you still get to look at their hand. Because you marshal them out, you get to look at their hand, and you only chuck a card out of their hand if you if you kneel a non-Barra character. So you still get the info, which is great. Um, so I've been quite enjoying them. They're not as good as Fairy Followers or Ashad Priestesses, ultimately, because they maybe don't do quite as much. But the Traitor to the Crown is a absolutely top-notch card. been very, very much enjoying this, because it renders them just fucking useless. The fact Unless that they want to do a military or injury. Yeah, but who wants to make military and injury challenges? Against Barra. Mm. You know, no one wants... They don't fucking care. If the very fact that they don't count their strength for Dom actually is, uh, is you know, possibly the better part of the card. I've, uh, yeah, I've been very much enjoying enjoying them. I wish they cost zero. That would be ridiculous. But no, the Traitors of the Crown, really fucking annoying. Not so good against Lanny, because Lanny doesn't love many fucking particularly great power icons but uh, but it does have non-kneeling characters though which you want to stop counting for Dom potentially you know you kneel some of them to stop them counting for Dom and then the ones you can't kneel you whack one of these on them mm. I found them quite useful anyway have you bannered Martel for Condemned as well yet uh, no I haven't six anti-power icon things and Nymeria yeah but they still count the strength for Dom though don't they you only remove their power icons so they just can't make power challenges or defend power challenges. This is just more. Yeah. And more is always better. Yeah, is... These ones go up to 11. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do. So, 
I really like Traits of the Crown. It's fucking annoys Greyjoy decks, put it that way. The thing about Baratheon, though, is they've got loads of hilarious attachments. Motley's hilarious. Stinking mm. Drunk's hilarious. Traits of the Crown's others. hilarious. But yeah. none of them win you the game. Which, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of playing bad cards because they amuse you. <laughs> but... <laughs> The, then people ask you how you're doing at tournaments and you go, well, I lost every game, but uh, hey, so many people didn't count their strength towards dominance. <laughs> I, I, I don't really see the problem with that at all. I think that, that sounds good to me. Three you... copies of Wizard by Shadows, two copies of Traitor to the Crown, three House Florent Knights, away we go. <laughs> you run three House Florent Knights in that deck as well, so and the House Florent Knight Visit by Shadows thing is a, a much-loved much-loved synergy already. So, Truly spectacular. Yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a big fan. And running those things in the Tyrell box that enable you to use an event in your discard pile again. Can't remember what they're called. Emissary of Hightower or whatever they're called. Something yeah. like that. Yeah, bouncing them and getting to getting like two uses out of your Consolidation of Powers or your In the Name of the Kings. Oh, I've been very much enjoying it. It's a deck that I've been playing online and hasn't done that bad. I think I've won more games than I've lost. I may have only played three or four games. <laughs> I've won more than I've lost. I've played a game. But I won it. It's a 100% win record. <laughs> <laughs> played five, won three, lost two, I think. So, yes. I think there's there's some fascinating stuff in there. There's, there's weird kind of cards, like cards I'm not sure we'll see a lot of play, but when they do, they're going to be really on. Like that, that Dario Naharis, I think, is a kind of weird one. I really like the look of Darion Harris. I think he's he's probably not going to be very good. You know, you play you're on that Iron Bank turn turn seven, and you've got a hundred gold to spend. <laughs> Why not? Why not throw him out? Standing and take control. That's they're two generally considered good things, and it's kind of a bit of ally hate coming back. And I don't feel like uh, Second Ed has enough ally hate. Right now, people are playing Littlefinger. People are just getting away with things, and we need to. Really, we need a good Aris Oak cart that doesn't cost two there to get to get rid of an ally. We need proper Aris Oak cart. Yeah, slap a renown on him. Get rid of his cost. Bam, easy. No attachments to the weapon. Exactly. Whereas Dario, he he's closer to his or well, further away. But probably better than his ally hate version in first edition. I think he is. I'm a big, big fan of uh, Darion. In fact, you could use Darion Harris to take control of an ally or companion and then kill that ally or companion <laughs> with Magnemite. Magnemite! Yeah. You've got all that gold to spend on seven costers. Why not spend money on a seven cost companion? <laughs> <laughs> Dario is probably really good against other Targ decks because they run quite a few compan- decent companions and allies. That Well, certainly the more significant companions and allies are uh, Jorah and your um, the handmaidens that all get played in a lot of the tar decks. But, uh, but yeah, who's going to who's gonna run three of these at the moment? I don't, I don't, know. I don't know. But it's, it's an interesting one. No power icon. So. I don't know if you were aware, Mage, but it's not just stand and take control, but you can take one that's already standing and you can stand one you've already got. Do any of it to anyone. So he's got lots of fun useless. Which is the classic companion way, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so Dario's interesting. The Night's Watch ones don't interest me that much, even though I was, I've been playing a fair bit of Night's Watch Reigns recently. Even that rat cook, I don't see as... I see as being quite funny. 
but not overly. Uh, yeah, I did see a deck that was kind of built around it, that and the Broken Vows thing. But I kind of looked at all the cards and kind of went, well, yeah, good luck working that one out. You know, what you're taking when and what characters you're taking and which ones you're giving back at what point. point and it was a complicated Night's Watch deck. That's every Night's Watch deck for me. They're just a constant nightmares on <laughs> cast on me for Night's Watch <laughs> and start cards. So just whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm reading it now and you know how everyone was like oh Brandon's gift is rubbish and, uh, and then it was quite like the builder's deck is slowly getting good I think even if the steward deck got good they still wouldn't play this card mm, yeah you might be right I mean what's that Let me I'm going to read that again for maybe the second time you do get to keep it though don't you you do get to keep the character you steal oh no, no you don't because it fucking wordings around the wrong way it says until the end of the round take control of that character instead of saying take control of that character until the end of the round it is Heinz fucking <laughs> <laughs> nonsense Heinz yeah it's a song great there's a card in the next pack that there's a nice watch card in the next pack that nicks gold off the other player if you play a song event great what do you think as our <laughs> I never thought I'd say this as our resident Stark player do <laughs> yeah i never thought i'd hear that i haven't played stark since like the monday before starlack and in my defense that was maesters obviously all the other Stark playing was completely indefensible i don't play direwolves so i can't really comment on the uh on the event it seems good if you're playing a direwolf deck and bad if you are not (laughs) the maester is a lot more interesting to me Mm. he's so very obviously forecast to not come in from Fleetbottom, right? Yeah. <laughs> or here to set well. Yeah, but if you're searching for a maester that's going to be sacked, then you it's not that great. Yeah, he's pretty nice. I, I'll, I'll enjoy, I will enjoy playing around with him when I get around to playing maesters again. Um, he seems to he seems to me to be a kind of, to, to be a maester that fits in a Lanny Wolf deck, right? Oh, yeah. You bring him in with Lanny Harrenhal. Mm, very good. Sack him kind of immediately because he's going to die. So, and yeah, a forecast maester, great. Well, the forecast maester is quite useful. You need to stop that first snow wrecking your board. No point. I mean, then you're going to sack it. Well, you like yeah, it. You've got to sack it to use it. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That first snow's cleared my board, uh, but I'll I'll get it back by sacrificing my one remaining character. <laughs> it's, it's a flawless plan, <laughs> especially if it's your first snow. <laughs> What do you mean? Why would you play it? Yeah, it's a stark intriguing icon. Right there we go. Seems all right. And the less said about Ashmark, the better. <laughs> I haven't quite seen it. I haven't quite seen it do the damage that I'm sure it can do. It's a Lannister card, so it will be drawn at precisely the wrong moment for you. And they'll just be like, they'll just be like, oh, this is really useful, Ashmark. And then you're like, well, now I'm fucked. Cheers. Well, you House of Red Door it. Obviously. Fuck off. <laughs> that, that sounds bad. It sounds subpar. Then you use the plot that you put gold on it. I, I haven't read no, the cards. That doesn't work. <laughs> you use the event to put gold on it. You use the event to put gold on it, and yeah, you're away. And then you sack the card, and hooray! Yeah. <laughs> it's, do you remember uh, House of Dreams Longship Iron Victory 2? That's, it's basically yeah. the same thing. I guess <laughs> it's not the same thing at all. <laughs> no, I'm with Mitch. It's absolutely the same thing. It's, 
entirely the same thing. And there's no prize on this one. I think that is a good segue into our section on House of Dreams. Yeah, let's get rid of these, this fucking chapter pile. Yeah, I'm sick good. of looking at these let's shit cards. Close shit down cards. Thrones DB and open up Agot cards. <laughs> look at it. Look how beautiful it is. Oh, look, there's a comment from Josh commented on by both of us, Tony. <laughs> I popped in the other day. I'll tell you why I popped in the other day, because I've actually still got the windows open. Um, Chris, uh, Chris Schoenthal has been doing an Agot glossary. Mm-hmm. On on Facebook, I noticed. I'm pretty sure it was him. Is yeah, they're trying to do a glossary of all the regularly used terms in the game for uh, for new players mainly, and had a look through it. And yeah, there's yeah, it's pretty solid, pretty solid uh, stuff in there. You know, a couple of missions here and there, and, and and that's fine. But um, someone in one of the comments was asking where the term spoiler came from. <laughs> right? Wow. Why everyone always constantly misspells the word spoiler. So, because I was obviously had too much time on my hands one night, I went until we got cards to try and go back and find the page where that started. And it was obviously it was just a misspelled kind of it, it was just a just a spell mistake on a page where someone was spoiling packs from I think the King's Road cycle. And this was this is when Gualdo used to do um, who, who ran the Agot cards website used to every so often post like Chinese spoilers to first edition cards on a on a page from four years ago. There's a picture of, if you remember the Stark uh, Yorin card, the one cost that didn't have an intrigue icon but could kneel to defend intrigue icons or whatever. That, I think, is the first use of the term spoilers, and then everyone down it is kind of go, oh, yes, we definitely need more of that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And the rest is history. To the extent that the next time you posted spoilers correctly, people insisted that it be (laughs) 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 misspelled. But at four years old. Fantastic. I do remember that. Still hasn't got old. <laughs> no. <laughs> and people used to post people used to post spoilers from first edition cards with like a watermark of the word spoiler in the middle of <laughs> 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 Back when we used to get Chinese spoilers and that's where they used to come from. Yeah. Oh God. Long time ago. Sorry, I digress. Carry on, dude. <laughs> okay. Um so House of Dreams or House of the Red Door, as it's now known. Is an old chap card designed by 2011 overall world champion Corey Faherty. Uh, it was originally released in a roll of the dice with some exciting cards, cards we might enjoy in there. Uh, Dragonbone Bow, obviously uh, that's an exciting attachment which rhymes with the Jalabajo, um, which is always <laughs> useful for songwriting purposes. Um, uh, little and less. Little less. Yeah, the opposite of much and more. You whisper little and less, which is, it sounds so powerful. You may play this card during any response window. Response until the end of the phase. Players cannot play any additional responses. Cannot be (laughs) cancelled. That sounds like it just breaks the game, but it doesn't. Because what it means is you cannot play responses from cards in your hand, which made it awful. And that that broke my heart. You can't play, yeah, and... um, Corset Drogo, but just <laughs> flicking through the uh, like the cards, the inconsistency in the number of cards per faction is amazing, because Martel gets Old Bill Bone, Green Blood Merchant, Deceit, and Outthought, of which one of them exactly is a good card, and then Lannister gets a single card. They get Walk of Shame, of which zero are good cards. <laughs> um, 
absolutely no consistency. Presumably, it works itself out over the course of the cycle. Wasn't that that chapter, that series of chapter packs? Each house got its own kind of focus chapter pack, which is why the Martel, that's like the Martel pack of that cycle. I think so, because all Bill Bone, the, the artwork on all Bill Bone was the roll of the dice, right? Because yeah, it was all built on rolling the dice, and that's why the pack was called that. So it had, Martel had four cards on that pack. I might be right. I mean, Valor Morgulis is like the best, in the same cycle, is like the best pack for Barrett ever. Yeah. Yeah. It was just obscene. So yeah, you're probably right. So uh, House of Dreams, broadly speaking, does the same thing as it used to. The House with the Red Door, you can start with a unique location of three cost or lower in play, and it cannot be discarded from play. And then you get a reduced setup because of it. The original House of Dreams... You get a reduced setup. You can have a non-limited location of any cost, which Josh was very pleased to find out they included 10 towers at 5 cost, which, of course, can give you an 8-gold setup in 1st edition, which was just fantastic. Um, but instead of it cannot be discarded, it was immune to opponents' non-plot card effects, which, you know, just so much better, basically. Yeah, it was there for the game. Yeah. So they had to have a plot card that could discard it or return it to hand and then they, if it was played out again have something else to discard it which was not too common so it was it was pretty foolproof um, unless you were playing against Rowan and he was playing Battle of the Shield Islands which allowed you to steal opponent's house of dreams locations instead of claim but even if he did have it it wouldn't matter because he misplayed it every single time he ever played that card <laughs> <laughs> but what we want to do is uh, talk you through some of our favourite house of dreams decks first edition before discussing what we're excited to play uh, play with for second edition so tony have you got a house of dream step that is fun or would you like to would you like to start with longship iron victory as we were just discussing it i mean i i played a little bit and i'm, I'm sorry to say it, i played a little bit of house of dreams uh longship maiden's bane Ugh. back in back period of time where Got to be one of the one of the most underrated at the time cards ever produced. I seem to remember when that came out, one went, yeah, it might kind of be killed. Yeah, seems all right, but uh, I can't imagine it having much of an effect. Fucking three weeks later, it was restricted. <laughs> it was absolutely horrible. So I played a little bit of that. That was a warship that came into play as a character. Uh, could not be killed with whatever strength, one strength for each warship or whatever, and then bounce bounce back into location. Because I, I played a lot of Barra in first edition, the only House of Dreams deck I think that I re- that I remember, and please, if you can think of if you can think of one that I can't, but let me know. The one I remember playing that was probably effective was House of Dreams: Iron Throne, mm-hmm. uh, because even in, in melee, you used to play a little bit in melee, because it was it basically guaranteed you won dominance every single time. Yeah, the old Iron Throne meant said that you uh, you win dominance no matter what. Unless someone else has a copy of a card called the Iron Throne, which when you were playing against Lannister was, you know, more than not, um, more often than not the case. But if you played it at House of Dreams, it pretty much never left play and you won dominance every time. But Barra wasn't the big dominance, uh, wasn't the, 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 the massive kind of dominance power or decks depending on winning dominance that, uh, that it is now. Um, but still, there was enough there for you to, for, you know, for you to benefit from the fact that, that, that you'd won Dom and a guaranteed power every round was uh you know not to be sniffed at and you put another couple of cards that came off of that but that was i mean that was most of my i think most of my stuff i never played targ 
too much in first edition. And I saw House of Dreams at a tar probably more than anything. Because House of Dreams Dragon Pit, House of Dreams Aegon's Hill were just disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Do you want to talk us through Dragon Pit? Yeah, go on then. So House of Dreams Dragon Pit. The Dragon Pit was a horrible, horrible burn card from First Edition, which related to the old uh, Shadows mechanic. And the Dragon Pit was a three-cost location. It was a House Targ-only card that said... If you have at least one card in Shadows, any characters controlled by opponents who don't have more cards in Shadows get minus one strength. So there was a permanent minus one across. If you played your cards right, there was a permanent minus one on the other side of the board. Um, so you played all of your burn cards and your terminal terminal effects, uh, and they had much more of an effect. And it was pretty disgusting. Um, the, one of the, the main ways to combat that was to put loads of cards in Shadows yourself, um, which was I only beat a couple of Dragon Pit decks in my time. I used to fucking hate it, uh, but it was usually won by decks that just played a lot of stuff and to kind of turn off their Dragon Pit. So, and House of Dreams Tunnels of the Red Keep was a uh, an excellent way of combating Dragon Pit because that gave you plus one strength for each card. Your character's plus one strength for each card you had in Shadows, which was I think the very first deck I ever built. Uh, like not barring just playing a deck with one core set deck that I decided I was going to buy the chapter packs to build was Tunnels of the Red Keep oh. Tunnels was a lot of fun where you got like 15 strength there Pokemon you had little little chuds little one and two cost chuds that were like eight, eight and nine strength and stuff like that it was fantastic Cersei kneeling uh, what, like six characters if she won an entry challenge kneeling a character for each card in shadows the, the thing about House of Dreams as an agenda was that it became this kind of evergreen thing in the card pool that if you couldn't, it's almost like if you if you built a deck with say some new cards and you and you got some new cards and you're kind of going, all right, I want to play them out of a deck. House of Dreams was always an agenda that you could kind of go back to and kind of go, do you know what? I'll make this House of Dreams whatever the most important location of my deck is. That's not a great way to deck build. <laughs> I'm not saying every <laughs> way to deck build, but it was always a case of. If you weren't building a very specific, you know, Bloodthirst deck or fucking Black Sails deck or, you know, card uh, uh, agendas that require very, very specific deck building, House of Dreams is always something you could kind of fall back on and kind of go, do you know what? Let's, okay, let's take that location, let's House of Dreams that, and let's see how important that is, and then play a standard deck with it. I'm not sure if it'll hold that same kind of position in second, but it was always something to kind of fall back to because every house had a whole chunk of decent locations that you could that you could use for it. And uh, as you say, that location pretty much stuck up, stuck about unless it was reasonably specific tech for it. When you put against city plots, they would perhaps a city besieged your kind of House of Dreams location out, but um, that wouldn't be till ha- about halfway through the game, at which point it'd probably done its damage. So. What were, I was gonna? I was just about to ask you a really stupid question there, Dave. I was going to ask you what your favourite House of Dreams deck was. <laughs> My favourite House of Dreams deck, Tony, was House of Dreams Doran Solar. No shit. <laughs> really? <laughs> I think it probably was. Um, oh, if you if you want to go back to old episodes and hear me talk about at, Doran Solar at length, uh, you can try any old episode, uh, but specifically the ones after Worlds and Starlight in 2015. Oh, I would argue that what well, we are now, seventy-eight. You yeah. could go back as well, episode seventy-six, and you'd still be talking about it. <laughs> I think you can definitely hear know? about it, episode seventy-seven. <laughs> yeah, because I played it last week. I played it at Starlight. Presumably, I was talking about being excited to play it the week before, 
Uh, I played it in Glasgow, so I would have talked about it then. So we won't talk about Doran Solo. Um, just know that I love it. But I'll talk about some more other interesting decks. Uh, you mentioned Aegon's Hill, Tony. Yeah. Now, Aegon's Hill was a location that read uh, challenges Neil Aegon's Hill to look at an opponent's card and choose a character, put it in the opponent's dead pile. So essentially, um, Big Mel as a challenger's action. And it was quite scary in itself. Uh, it was really scary when you paired it with like a Dothraki deck that ran all the aggro cards and six two claim plots. And then the last plot would either be March to the Wall or Valor. And it's just like, well, if you put it on the table, it's probably dead. But if you leave it in your hand, it's definitely dead. So what do you fancy? And there were cards to do extra military challenges and stand all your Dothraki after a military challenge. And uh, then there was obscene burn cards, which did minus one for every Dothraki you had. And all that nonsense. So, uh, yeah, that was quite a brutal deck to play against. Um, and a bit of a, an anomaly in deck building. Without House of Dreams, it would have been a an average aggro deck. With House of Dreams, it suddenly became, oh, I can't just play the hand advantage game and wait until after and wait until I've controlled the board. It's mm. I've I've got to play my important characters or they will just die anyway. So that was really interesting. It's it's worth mentioning that I know we harp on about first edition and how the, and how it kind of differs from second a lot and well just harp on about first edition in general, but a three cost location in first edition, if you weren't playing it with House of Dreams, was probably only in extreme circumstances maybe even gonna go in your deck. Mm. You know, your a three cost location was pretty strong, pretty expensive. Um, if you weren't necessarily going to draw it, th- three cost locations were were there to be House of Dreams. You found a three cost, you found a big location, and went, yeah, great. Well, that's uh, I, you know, I, I don't need to search that to draw that. That's that's coming out from the very beginning, and uh, I don't need to spend any money on it. And obviously, they put a gold restriction on it for a second edition, which is a bit of a shame, but probably probably absolutely 100% necessary. Have you got any House of Dreams decks that you want to talk about, Mage? I've got two more that I've noted down off the top of my head. Uh, there was a the House of Dreams Greyjoy one that you put a character into play. Blackwind? Yeah, I think Wedge had an excellent deck which used Pentoshi Manor as the restricted card and all the prized monocons. That was a, a very funny deck. Prized monocons for those that don't remember or know were uh, two cost, two strength characters. Each house had one of a different icon, um, and when they were participating in the challenges, characters with more than one icon didn't count their strength. So Mage could just, uh, sorry, Wedge could drop drop in whichever he needed to win a challenge, and just defend everything he wanted. And it was it was great fun, except they were all prized. See, when Tony was talking about Baratheon ones, I do remember building a really terrible. Baratheon Winter Wall, yeah, House of Dreams yeah. Wall deck. By the time you had a slow start from House of Dreams anyway, and then an even slower start having to go fetch a Winter Raven, and then you were so far behind to get the combo going, and the combo didn't do anything in, in the end anyway. It was shit, but it was hilarious to build. So that's I remember that. I'm trying to think of any others. There was another battle one that I messed about with for for a little while as well. Do you remember the war? Do you remember Fury? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I played House of Dreams Fury for a bit, which was Fury was a battle warship that 
said that they could have played into Barra's strengths at the, um, putting cars in the discard pile and then figuring out ways to get cars out of the discard pile. So Fury said, uh, any phase, you can kneel Fury, discard two cards from your hand to choose and stand a Barra character that didn't have attachments on it and then draw a card. But you could draw two cards if you'd want a challenge by four or more, which is great because one of Barra's main weaknesses in first edition was draw. There was sod all draw in Barra unless you, you know, unless you plumb kind of neutral draw into it or, um, or with plots or whatever. So being able to draw two around was kind of really strong with Barra. And winning a challenge by four or more, if you timed it right, especially with vigilant characters like Frank Center, um, you could easily win a power challenge by four or more, chuck two cards out of your hand, bounce them back in one, on, one way or another. It wasn't a reliable deck by any means. <laughs> <laughs> but this was kind of before the Barra Hollow Hill deck became a, a really big thing and before that became, before the cards came out to kind of make that really, really good. I think the Battle Hall of Hildex maybe chucked like one copy of Fury in back in the day, but uh, running a House of Dreams was quite fun. So yeah, the, the decks I was thinking of was uh, Ten Towers, which we mentioned briefly earlier, uh, which was a, lo- a location which, uh, if you controlled only Greyjoy cards, you could play the top card in your opponent's discard pile as if it was in your hand. So um, Josh ran that to some mixed success. Uh, I mean, winning any games was impressive, but it was a deck that we've talked about many times. It scales with how good your opponent's deck is. Um, it had influence in it so it could play all the expensive events it could play um, hand destruction events so it could pick cards out and then immediately use them Um, Mm -hmm. it could ambush opponent's characters from the discard pile because ambush was paid for by influence it was just absolute complete nonsense and then it ran a stark location a stark attachment and attachments didn't count towards the restriction that allowed you to turn your characters into Greyjoy characters so you could still use the agenda and it was just complete nonsense Um, if you want to hear about his ridiculous plays episode 5 and a dictionary with first edition <laughs> cards, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll sort you out. Did, isn't that the deck Peel used an Iron Mind turn one yeah. against Josh? Oh, idiot! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. And then Josh had infinite saves. <laughs> Another one just springs to mind was the old Stark deck House of Dreams Bear Island. Oh yeah. Which uh, was a little bit nasty, not entirely unbeatable by any means, but. Uh, Bear Island was a three-cost location in Stark, which basically said that in Dominance you could kneel it and just kill a non-Stark character without attachments. Just a free kill in Dominance. But you had to only be controlling Stark cards in the same way that Ten Towers worked, with you only controlling Greyjoy cards. So it was a little bit nasty. It didn't do its thing until Dominance. It uh, did, did, did the job for a bit. I just want to talk about, yeah, uh, LIV2, the Longshipine Victory 2, which shows that one-use locations can be House of Dreams Ball, if you want them to be, because that was a three-cost location which said challenges action, discard, sacrifice, uh, launch a victory to kill a participating character cannot be saved, and it was also um, prize two, so each opponent claimed two power when they popped it, and that was incredibly powerful because the threat of activation is almost as good as the effect itself, and it killed all but two characters in the game essentially. Um, there was a Stannis who was immune to locations. The best Stannis. He was the best Stannis. Yeah, he was brilliant. And Brienne, who uh, was like corset cat, uh, she stopped triggered effects. So you could throw her in with all your important characters, or you could uh, use Stannis. Everyone else, whoever goes into that challenge, has the potential they just die. Uh, mm-hmm. Made the Red Viper very, very sad. Fuck the Red Viper. Quite an intense deck. And I think there's one last deck that. I really want to talk about which was Gates of Winterfell 
um, which was an ingenious deck which came out of uh, Stoke, which for until the last year of first edition was the spiritual home of Thrones in the UK. Uh, and then they all got angry and quit over second edition. Some of them have come back now, which is nice, but they've lost their time. Not many. No, I think they've got about three players now, whereas they used to be the biggest meta by far. The biggest ever first edition regional was held in Stoke in 2014 or 2013. At like 50-something players. They were really, really important in getting the game up and running and competitive and organising the first UK nationals and big tournaments and getting regionals and all that kind of thing. So without them, there basically wasn't a community until second edition. They just got it going. I don't think I'd be playing if it wasn't for the local tournaments in Stoke. That was the, my first tournament. So yeah, they were being an hour away from Manchester. They were like the the closest tournaments that we were actually running good with good players at because the Manchester game night kits and stuff was just like me and Ben and. Like, he's like, well, one of, we've both had a five, or one of us is getting a plane out of this. <laughs> yeah, right. um, that was where we met, Mitch. That is when we met, yeah, that was first ever tournament, and you battered me with good Stannis. <laughs> exactly, and the Viper. <laughs> 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 oh. Yeah, but uh, this was a deck that came out of there and made it to the top eight in the UK Nationals in 2014. Uh, and Gates of Winterfell read challenges no sorry marshalling look at the top card or reveal the top card of your deck if it is a stark character put it into play knelt and then the deck ran card advantage plots and location hate plots and then 59 characters (laughs) so if you reveal the top card of your deck it was a character and it was going into play for free and then there were cards which allowed you to stand knelt characters when you played cards with a certain keyword um, in the Martin phase, and then there was a Rob Stark, which allowed you to kneel him to play an army for free. And very quickly, the deck just built up such a board, it was obscene. Massive armies. It played all the unplayable high-cost armies, because they were free. The card of, And then it just had so many cards in hand that it could just churn the game out. You just couldn't win power challenges, or military challenges against it. And if you weren't running Valor, you, you had lost, basically, going into it. Uh, and then it also had a plot which allowed it to move characters to the top of the deck from play. So if you did Valet, it would just move Rob to the top and start again the next turn. It was it was truly a sight to behold. And it still just about works because uh, Tom Beskers beat me with it at Starlight this year. <laughs> so despite all the restrictions, uh, it does still work if they get uh, if they play it right. Yeah, I played him at Starlight this year. Uh, I did beat him, but, but yeah, he played it with... Uh, yeah, 15 characters, one location, uh, river plots to get a ton of money and a ton of cards, and uh, uh, it was lovely. It was lovely. He set up Bran Stark. Mm. That was it. He just sets up Bran, because then he can start flipping his, uh, flipping his river plots. But uh, he wasn't going to prepare for the fact that I kept nicking his uh, nicking his little finger every turn with a, a cheeky Mel's favour. So, yeah, that kind of uh, didn't, didn't quite work out for him. But yeah, Ballsy as Hell was destroyed by one card. Uh, River Blockade, <laughs> <laughs> which cancelled the first location effect played by the other. <laughs> the other. A zero-cost warship. <laughs> yeah, because you run a deck that's got 59 characters in one location, you really want that location to work. <laughs> the location you've got, then, uh, yeah, you basically, if, you, if they sat down opposite that, they'd just scoop them, because, yeah, they were screwed. Um, but, yeah, good fun. Do you want to talk about Stark House of Dreams Harrenhal, Dave? 
Yeah. <laughs> I had, I had forgotten about that. That's the card I wanted when I got to TO at Starlight. I wanted to put it on the restricted list. Um, <laughs> the Stark Hall, for those who aren't aware, is um, is it has the text response after a character is killed. Search the top three cards of your deck. Add a card to hand. And there is a card called Narrow Escape, which essentially is Craster in event form. And you can cancel Narrow Escape. You can cancel it by chucking your entire hand at least one card and uh, people mention Harrenhal to me because uh, uh, across Worlds and Starlek I lost six games in 2015 I lost against uh, the mirror match against another Doran Solar against Stark No Agenda and then against four Stark Harrenhal decks so I'm not very big fan of it I never had a good <laughs> matchup against Stark in my life because Nobody in Bridgestock played them after about two weeks. It was the only deck I had no experience playing as, except in competitive situations. So I'd always lose those games. Uh, I was on the stream in the top eight at Worlds. and uh, In a grudge match. In a grudge match against uh, Seth Lowe after he was a bit harsh to Craven and I on our national decks. Um, and I, he, he overextended turn one. I valid turn two, praying that he wasn't going to draw the narrow escape. And he hit it on his Harrenhal trigger. And I didn't have the cancel for the Harrenhal trigger. And I always have a cancel. And, uh, <laughs> but I had to Valor early because if I waited, he was going to get it. That was unpleasant, shall we say. Just thought I'd rub it in a little bit more, that's all. Yeah, just, I, I was going to make sure we definitely talked about that. because, <laughs> Well, yeah. it solved the meta, didn't it? And that's all that really matters. <laughs> uh, it solved the meta in that it was incredibly strong. It there were two of them in the top eight, top 16 at Worlds, I think, and Seth came second. And there were lots of them placing highly at Starlek. And then they absolutely collapsed to a Viper. If a deck plays the Red Viper, those Stark decks can't deal with it because they took out all their Viper hate hmm. um, when he got restricted. And so Reese just... He beat like six of them in a row at Starlek. Just... <laughs> yeah. Because Wedge will kill us otherwise. We need to mention the host of Dreams of the Mandor. Why would Wedge kill us? That's John Bruno's deck. Well, how do you know? <laughs> yeah, fair point. Oh, God. But whoever built that deck, uh, House of Dreams Amanda was pretty strong. Wedge took it to, I think, was it third place at, in Madrid? Third, third place, place at Batala. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, that was strong. And the Mando, the Mando was just a card advantage card. The Mando wasn't like a remarkable effect or anything like that. It would simply kneel it to draw a card or two cards if there was a prize plot out. But, um... It turns out cards are good, and card advantage is good. But Wedge, Wedge only made third. Bruno won his, like, 10-person <laughs> regional. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. Did you hear... Um, a, I don't know if I told this on the podcast or whether I just mentioned it at Starlek, but apparently Christian Fowl's winning Lannister Dragon deck was Wedge's deck. Yeah. And it had gone all around the houses through various <laughs> metas, sharing Wedge's list, and then SoCal take credit again. <laughs> I was just like, that's so fucking rude. <laughs> but they are, yeah, two of the three people I get my, uh, two of the three places I get my deck. <laughs> you don't build decks anymore, do you? No, I, I built a deck. I have a lovely Targ Maesters, which is waiting to be played. Ooh. Yeah, it's pretty saucy if I do say so myself. Yeah, that <laughs> So uh, come January when I get a chance to play Thrones again, we'll uh, we'll see how that goes, or maybe next week if we're lucky. So, Mage, tell yeah. us tell us what you used to do with the House of Dreams agenda. 
So there's a peculiar quirk in the wording of House of Dreams that said something like you reveal your chosen location to your opponent, but you you don't have to use the same House of Dreams location between rounds. So if you've got several good uh, valid locations and you know that one of them's better against Greyjoy, after your opponent reveals a Greyjoy house card, you can go search a deck for the location that's good against Greyjoy. And I, because I'm a fool, uh, <laughs> decided to take that to its only logical conclusion and play a deck that didn't that had six possible uh, locations that you could house of dreams, and then just fill it with other Lannister good stuff. And then it didn't really matter which one I got as my house of dreams location because the rest of the deck was good enough and kind of boring, efficient cards enough that I get, like I could have the worst possible one, and I'd still tend to do okay in the games because. The, there was no disadvantage to getting like Lannisport tourney grounds, which was <laughs> n- which was far far worse than the Lannister Iron Throne. Uh, so I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I'd let my opponent pick my House of Dreams location at the start of every game? <laughs> so I turned up at a Stoke Store Championship with my House of Dreams. Exodia deck with the in a reference to the Yu-Gi-Oh. If you got all five of the parts of Exodia, you just win the game immediately. I thought that's that's close enough to what I'm doing. So at the start of every game, I would get my six possible locations and then just say to my opponent, uh, "Which one am I playing with today?" and let them point at one of them. And I'm like, "Oh well, it's House of Dreams, The Iron Throne today," or "Oh, it's House of Dreams, Westerlands," and it was pretty banter because every game was just a little bit of fun you could only really do it out of Lannister in first edition's very large card pool I think you can actually achieve this now in second edition with it with the current card pool and uh, that's what I'm going to be doing at the weekender but (laughs) at the weekender I'm taking it one step further I'm going to have six Exodia decks built. (laughs) (laughs) Not eight Exodia decks. No, nice watching Stark and fuck off. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And then at the start of every day, uh, both days of the weekend, I'm going to pick one of the decks that I'm playing that day at random. (laughs) 36 possible locations. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the way it's going to be great. Although I'd say that that would mean buying enough sleeves and building six decks. And at the moment, I've just got the Martell one. So <laughs> where that I've said that I'm going to do that on the podcast. It, it got the laugh. So that's that's definitely what I'm doing. If you don't come to the weekender. <laughs> I'll make sure I can do it. I want to see all six decks sleeved. I want to see them. You know, I want to see you pick them literally five minutes before you play your game, before you have your deck list. See, I think at the Borough one, I might try, because Josh TOs it, I might see if I can get away with doing a random house each turn, each each round. Well, I don't think that'll be in the rules, but... I think Josh will probably let you... He'll probably allow you to do the first pairing and then have your opponent pick your deck. 
at random and then pick the and then you're stuck with that for the rest of the day changing yeah. every round might be a big ask might, might be a, a little a little frowned upon yeah i'm i'm very excited for my house of dreams hellhole or house of dreams water gardens that seems funny because mm. it, like you have a slow start anyway and then your uh <laughs> your, your house of dreams is not really that good until turn three so who knows what could happen you're definitely going to lose a lot of challenges <laughs> That's good. You want yeah, that's the challenges. dream. Oh, it certainly starts me asking the question, well, what locations do you think are going to be good with this agenda then? Because, Mitch, you're likely to just be playing them all. <laughs> yeah, all of them. So we'll find out. You will find out through through practice and through, <laughs> through continual play of decks that you never intended to play in the first place, <laughs> whether have, these locations are good or bad. I do have a rule, though, that... For it to be a proper Exodia deck, you can't use the neutral unique cards because oh, yeah, that's boring. Because then two of the slots are always going to be like Iron Throne and Flea Bottom. True. Where and that means that King ba- King Balance Solar is not going to get used. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the King Balance Solar ruling is no neutral uniques as part of Exodia. Mm-hmm. That that makes sense. I like that you have to build your plot deck just in case you get certain Exodia locations. <laughs> like, you need to have high initiative in the Greyjoy one. <laughs> Which is fine, because that's a theme. And you need. Are you are you running Bitterbridge Encampment? Oh, almost definitely running yeah. Bitterbridge Encampment. So, yeah. The Tyrod yeah. deck's going to be chock full of summer plots. <laughs> See what happens. It, it's going to be hilarious. And, you know, I may never play a serious deck ever again. <laughs> <laughs> Because I, like, I, I realised at Starluck, after doing like uh, a long day of melee on the Friday, a huge long day of joust on s- Saturday, and then I was playing playing second first edition on the Sunday, and I was like, I'm so much better at first edition than I am at second edition. And I wasn't good at first edition, so I must be really, really <laughs> bad at second edition. Like, I was just like, yeah, I, I, I felt like I was watching the Matrix play, of watching people play first edition because I understood what was happening. And <laughs> I watched people play second edition. I'm just like, yeah, this this is just not good at all. So I, I've decided to fully kind of Brian it and <laughs> just be I, I'm just going to be bad. So let's play things that I find fun. That's it. You need a gimmick. Yeah, you need a gimmick. You can't lose if you don't if you never intended on trying. <laughs> I've uh, I found your tournament report from the day itself, uh, back when you used to actually finish your tournament reports. I remember that. Yeah, that that, that was good. We well, see, I was also much better at writing about first edition than I was about second edition. That's that that's the level that I'm on. True. It's well worth reading, everybody. So I'll, I'll uh, make sure that a link goes in the comments, or rather. I'll make sure Tony makes sure that links goes in the comments. Um, <laughs> yes, boss. But it was actually a uh, a regional that you played this at. Was it a regional? Yeah, prestigious. And you made top eight. <laughs> Although uh, I do believe that was the year that there was. It was the last year of first edition, so there was only like eighteen people. Um, but still, so top, top eight. eight. That's pretty good. You batted me. Yeah, uh, jobber. Batted me. Batted Wedge. Batted Craven. Yeah. Got batted by Marco. Well, yeah, that happens. Yeah. So if you're planning on running a second edition, 
how many locations are you planning on putting in each one? How many how, how many locations six. red dotable? You still reckon you still reckon there'll be six, yeah? If it's not six, you're not playing Exodia. Okay, no fair that, point. Yeah. Uh well the only one that I've got at the minute, so I've got the deck in front of me right now, it mm-hmm. is House Martel, the house with the red dra- with the red door. Red drawer, yeah. Yeah. Draw deck, six cards. <laughs> That's not a legal deck yet, mate. It's not a legal deck, but I've got the basis of it already. <laughs> so the the six Martel ones are Gaston Grey. Oh really? Okay. Cheeky Gaston Grey. Cheeky you know. Gaston. Okay. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. Hellholt. Yep. Sunspear. Remember yep. that? Sunspear. Yep. Yeah. Okay. The Boneway. The Prince's Pass. <laughs> okay. Because it's basically Longifying Victory 2. Yes, okay. Yeah, it can be. Some, yeah. Um, icon control, yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, go- I'm probably going to have six attachments in here as well, for two for each icon. Are they the equivalent of the Pokemon in the original deck? They're pretty much the equivalent. Oh, God, I really wish... they. Imagine <laughs> if, they ha- if they'd made the core Pokemon non-limited and... In each cycle, we got another, or in each big box, we got another Pokemon that was <laughs> that'd non-limited. That'd be so good. That'd be so good. Like, I'll never not be angry about the Pokemon being limited. <laughs> for, for those who aren't <laughs> aware, obviously the Lannister gold-producing characters, there used to be one for each icon, and Mate referred to them as Bulbasaur, Charmander, and Squirtle. In not in in both this tournament report and in general uh, conversation. So in the original Exodia, there were two Charmanders, one Bulbasaur and one Squirtle. <laughs> uh, and a crudely drawn picture to accompany them. At Port Street, we actually played with actual Pokemon uh, in, instead of the Moneylender or whatever. We just <laughs> actually had real Pokemon cards because because by that point, it was just me and Wedge playing and we both knew what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Wow. We uh, we did used to use a Bellsprout for... Uh, the Longshabine victory at one point <laughs> when Peel was playing it. It came out of the weekend, but I'm I'm not sure. Just everyone was playing Bell Sprouts, weren't they? Yeah, and they were bell ends for doing it. So we, just, <laughs> we were just like, they're bell ends. Let's call them Bell Sprouts. <laughs> yeah. And that was it. And that's why I have that Bell Sprout coin in my uh, token box. <laughs> for those who aren't aware, why that's there. <laughs> if, it's mystery solved. If, <laughs> yeah. If you've ever sat down against Dave and gone. Why does he have that Bell Sprout token? Is he a secret Pokemon player? No. Well, yes. It's a first, it's a first edition reference, like everything else. Yeah, yeah. And the final Exodia for Martel is the Water Gardens. Yeah, yeah. I think I've got one for uh, Greyjoy as well. I was going to say Martel-wise, I think that all of those are reasonable House of Dreams choices, except Prince's Pass, in my opinion. Because Gaston Grey is pretty powerful, and. I would potentially run that as a House Dreams location, but I would keep two more in my deck. Now, am I right in thinking that Exodia is only ever one-offs? Yeah, come on, that's not... Okay. <laughs> Don't be ridiculous. It probably should be two more of that, of Gaston Grey, because it's a weird discard rule. But I think if we're, if we're playing straight by the book, it's one of each unique that you're using for Exodia. Okay, for competitive Exodia... Yeah. Otherwise, play, you could you're fine. rig it a little bit by having like the three locations and then your three Gaston Greys and be like, oh my god, I've got Gaston Grey for like the fifth time today. Mm, 
that's not the cool. problem. But the problem that I see with these kind of well, call them one-use locations like Gaston or the Princess Pass, where you have to sacrifice them, is the House of the Red Door doesn't stop your location being nightmares. So you can have your location have your location being made utterly useless for the round or for the challenges phase or whatever. Uh, old House of Dreams, you couldn't nightmares it. You know, the Longship Iron Victory Two was so fucking so effective because they, would, they couldn't stop you discarding it and killing that character. But they can still nightmares your Gaston. They can still nightmares your Princess Pass and still probably, you know, win turn three or four or whatever. So it just, I mean, yeah, we can talk about that to a blow in the face, the differences between the two kind of. I, I agree, Tony. First edition is better. Well, yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, it is. But just the fact that you can still blank these kind of size crystal case makes them a little bit less, I don't know, a little bit useful, less useful to me. But, you know, what do I know? Yeah, so I do have a Greyjoy one as well at the minute. Again, House Greyjoy, House with the Red Door, draw deck, six cards. So we've got Corpse Lake. Of course. Great Kraken. Yeah, of course. Very solid. Iron Victory. Mm-hmm. In honour of the King Balansolar ruling, King Balansolar. <laughs> a zero-cost location. <laughs> yeah. It's economy. It's economy. Beautiful. Yeah. Pike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the Seastone Chair. Interesting. We'll 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 see how that plays out. Corpse Lake might be a bit too specialist and good, so if we might put some shit in like another King Balance Solar, breaking all the rules. <laughs> I guess you can't really in your deck you can't really put like Naga's ribs or Old Wick or anything because you'd have to build around them, so Yeah, and you're supposed to put all the good stuff in yeah. to like balance out the fact that you're just leaving it to random. It's yeah. Yeah, yeah, although no, you'll still have to build slightly around them, as we said, for initiative purposes and summer plots for Tyrell and all that nonsense. Yeah, yeah but exactly. a lot of Tyrell decks are playing summer plots anyway. That's true. Mm. Yeah, and Greyjoy Death tends to take the high initiative ones as well. So yeah, uh, I've got what the weekend is in February, two months to work on uh, to put, find like fifty-five other cards for those two decks and. <laughs> Because, you know, it's still a draw deck of 60 cards. Yeah. There'll be another pack out by the end of January as well. So we've got whatever's coming in the next pack location-wise. Uh, you've got things like Old isn't Old Town in the next pack as well, which is not, not entirely ridiculous House of Red Door location. It is. Uh, well, it is. the pack's called Journey to Old Town, so I should bloody well hope so. It is in there, yeah. So that's, that's doable, I guess. Gates of the Moon is neutral, so, you know, we don't count that, and limited anyway. Uh, <laughs> So there's whatever is in there's whatever is in the King's Moot pack in January, uh, and we'll see if there's anything kind of. I don't know any uh, locations. No locations. Nah. Uh, no. I can't believe you guys don't know any. Are we not going to do some spoilers? Like, should we just make something up? Uh, <laughs> make something up. What do you think? Uh, we <laughs> Baratheon, the Stormlands. After a after a character is knelt. Near a location? <laughs> that seems awfully familiar. <laughs> you mean the Westerlands, yeah? <laughs> yeah, but we're, it, it's a different colour now, isn't it? So it's the Stormlands. Yeah. No, it's the same colour. It's still yellow. It's just oh, it's still house. yellow. It's, it's, just, it's Baratheon now, so it's got to be Stormlands. All the Neil cards, cards are always yellow. So in Thrones, Lannister, yellow. Baratheon, yellow. In Cthulhu LCG, Hasta was yellow. They did the Insanity, which was mm-hmm. basically kneeling. 
in Star Wars, the smugglers do the focusing effects. It's uh, FFG just love it. Can't get away from it. I look forward to you coming up with six decent red door locations for Barra. I can see maybe three, maybe four, but you may yeah, have that's... you may have to use Tobo Mott's armory. There's a high likelihood that I'm going to be using Tobo Mott's armory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and maybe the stone drum. <laughs> zero, cost, uh, zero cost has a red door location. Yeah, nice. So I mean, well, the red keep is an actual proper, a proper choice. I said that the Iron Throne, those of the, the, the red keep. Oh uh, yeah, I was gonna say Iron Throne doesn't count. The red keep is bad as kind of like legitimate fucking location. You want a location that's going to be doing stuff for you from round one, and the red keep is fucking great. Every Barra deck goes hunting for the red keep as soon as it possibly can pretty much without exception at the moment so you know, yeah of course you run the red keep yeah and as you say after that it drops quite dramatically chamber of the pa- painted table the chamber's yeah, chamber. good but under the rules of exodia because really you kind of if you run in chamber as your house of dreams you want three iron thrones but then if it's one in six of you only get in the <laughs> chamber you've suddenly got three iron thrones that aren't actually doing that much I, th- I think you run the three Iron Thrones anyway. Three Iron yeah. Thrones are always doing something in a barra deck. Yeah. They're, and and if you've got the armory as well, you know, <laughs> you've got a one in three chance of picking out dominance tech. <laughs> and, then, and then what else do you run? You run a really inefficient Spears of the Merlin King? Yeah. yeah. We need it for your Mag the Mighty, don't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Black Beaver, maybe? Black Beaver, yeah, well, no. Even then, probably not, because yeah. how many copies of Davos are you really going to run? <laughs> it's weirdly because Barra only really only has kind of a couple of viable builds, and they kind of are based around dominance and Neil, but mainly dominance or whatever at the moment. It's possible that the bad the kind of Exodia version of Barra might not be that bad because the decks well the decks pretty much the same regardless, right? Yeah. So it doesn't really matter which location you can use. It's the rest of the deck that's kind of the, like the important bit, because all bad decks are the fucking same. But if you don't get the the table, the armory, or the keep, then you've got something wanked, and you've only got one X of all these really important yeah. locations in your deck. Oh yeah, yeah, true. You've got that one extra gold from your kingdom plots, though. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that is that's vital, you know. And if you're running, if you're running House of the Red Door, the Valyrian, then. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> fundamentally you're you're probably going to lose yeah. uh, I don't, no I just think yeah you want more, more than one chamber of painted table but you, but you see you run your three iron thrones and then if you get one of the rest of them grant storm's end you know? yeah I guess storm's end is has oh, still dominance as well so you know yeah exactly get those iron thrones out for the lads <laughs> but you absolutely get do not want your thrones out get your thrones out <laughs> get your thrones out for the lads <laughs> Well, while we're here, shall we uh, discuss the other houses Exodia? As we'll we'll go through them, and I think that'll that'll pretty much cover House of Dreams from all angles. Absolutely. So, uh, so Lannister, what what do we reckon to them? Tower of the Hand. Solid. Good. Very solid. But then you also want to run Harrenhal, which is not eligible for Exodia. <laughs> Smoke Council Chamber of the Hand Solar, Lannisport, Castle Rock, Cersei's Wheelhouse. Cersei's fucking wheelhouse. I'm in Cersei's wheelhouse. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't a euphemism. Shut up. Mountains of the Moon, even? No, no, you can't do it in Exodia. Ah. Not in Exodia, I guess. 
Elberg Clansman deck will probably depend on it. But the others are, you know, solid. They all revolve around fucking entry challenges, one way or the other. Small Castle Chamber and Castle of Rock and Lannisport are all entry challenge based, so there you go, that's your Lannister. Hand Solar, great. Tower of the Hand, yeah, you want your. Uh, Tower of the Hand's still good though. It is still good. That out from fucking. From the very beginning is, uh, yeah. Are you tailoring your setups at all? Well, the other way, you you could get away with this in first edition because you had the refugees to kind of a zero cost lads. Yeah. So the deck is probably far far worse without <laughs> any refugees. So my advice would be to sneak refugees into the deck <laughs> from first edition because. Okay. Because then the deck's going to be better. Uh, yeah. Agreed. And then if you run your 3x Iron Thrones, you're laughing. They never even play. <laughs> and if you did lose dominance, you've probably got the extra gold from like King Balance Solar or um, <laughs> the Stone Drum, the stone drum <laughs> to pay for the refugee. <laughs> but what do you mean, um, tailoring setups? so much uh... I just mean because you've only got four gold for setup as we said in first edition a three gold setup you could still get a six fucking card setup right <laughs> with, with yeah. three gold but with only four gold to spend on setup that's much tougher in first mm-hmm. in second edition sorry and um, some decks will really struggle with that like normally unless you maybe put a slightly lower curve on the deck I mean I was talking about this to someone last night about uh, about Baratheon and Baratheon like a normal Baratheon deck would really can struggle only having four gold to set up so you probably want to put a few more kind of chubs into it to kind of try and make sure you aren't stuck with basically a location and a fucking vanguard lancer to kind of open up with you know what I mean and you need those chuds to kill for Magna Mighty anyway so (laughs) Mag needs to eat yeah so (laughs) you've, you've got to think not only am I playing with a random House of Dreams location I've also got to I've got to have enough claims to lose military challenges on my own, and for when I win my military challenge with Magnum Mighty, it's it, it's very 3D. Like people talk about people talk about challenge maths as like what second edition is all about. No, it's about having enough chuds so that your funny cards remain funny. The one way that I would recommend you. Uh, you kind of you do make your setup slightly better. Cheeky one of green dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yes, very true. No, you, you you put a cheeky green dreams in there, and all of a sudden, oh, this uh, this was only going to be a four card setup. Green dreams, it's a five. Yeah. Well, they, well, if that's how you're tailoring your setups for the House of the Red Door by putting one <laughs> fucking green dreams in the deck, then uh, then great that you've answered my question, mate. <laughs> yeah, that's. That's how I'd, how I'd kind of lower the curve. Cheeky one of Green Dreams. It's free. That also allows you to find your other locations quicker. Yeah. Which is great. Or your claims hope for Magna Mighty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just like, I, really... I need four characters. I will put Tywin to the bottom. And I will keep the Chud. I need a bastard daughter for next turn. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. And of course, you're down to a 59 card deck now, so the efficiency has improved somewhat, isn't it? <laughs> Unless you're also running Isle of Ravens, <laughs> in which case you could be shuffling cards back in, which, you know, there, there's always that risk. I've, of course, made a terrible mistake. You're now running a 60 card deck. Yeah. 60 plus your House of Dreams location. Yeah. Uh, there's some bad news here, Mage. There are only 
five eligible locations in Targ. Plaza of Pride is good. Plaza of Punishment is good. Vase Dothrak is not good. Vase Toloro is not very good. And Dothraki C isn't very good either. True. What about Astapor? Astapor's Bestow, isn't it? So you'll have to run the Bestow event just to get any value out of, out of it. If that's what you have to do. Part <laughs> <laughs> of punishment, really, isn't it? It's, which is um, re- will, will be really good, but yeah, it's disappointing that you haven't got many other options there. That's going to be a tough one, mate. You may have to go neutral for that one. Flea Bottom is very much a Targ card, so if you're going to include it in one... I'd rather not play Targ than include neutral. Yeah, oh. we'll, we'll see. We've got two more packs. Uh, yeah, yeah. What was the... Um, let's make up another spoiler. The uh, the horse gate that increased claim on power challenges. That was uh, that's, smack, I think. That's, that's exactly what it does, and it costs two. Yeah. Oh, but it's limited. It, horse gate's limited. Yeah, but Jeez. it's reboot now, so it's not limited. Correct. Uh, yeah, Horsegate increase claim on power challenges. Uh, we'll mock that's up it. an NS paint. That's fine. Yeah, the, so that's it. The Stormlands, <laughs> kneel after you kneel a character, mm-hmm. kneel a location after you kneel a character, and Horsegate non-limited cost three increase your claim on power challenges. I would play both of those locations, Mitch. You should yeah. be the lead designer for Thrones. <laughs> You wouldn't build silly combo decks. You'll just build silly decks. Yeah, that's. Uh, I, I'd have entire decks full of Magnemites. And... <laughs> Magnemite is limit sixty per deck. <laughs> <laughs> you just buy an entire chapter pack and just copies of it. He's just there, killing quid. himself, and then you have to close call him back in. Uh... For me, actually, the, the Magnemite may well replace the. Green Dreams as the the basically every deck needs to have a cheeky one Magnemite, right? <laughs> every single deck should have a Magnemite, even if it gets stuck in your hand and you can't play it. It's still there. Considerably less efficient than the Green Dreams. But well, the way you get around that is having a cheeky one of Magnemite in every deck, and then to balance it out, a cheeky one of Green Dreams in every deck as well. <laughs> uh-huh. See, that is balancing 3D chess. Hmm. It's multi-dimensional. I'll give you that. Yeah. <laughs> Can Magnemite take attachments? Weapons. Oh dear, that's bad news. Uh, yeah. Oh, stick a catapult on him, it's fine. Yeah, but he can't take green dreams. That's going to affect your setups. Yeah. Well, you're not going to be setting him up in Exodia anyway. Not in Exodia, no. This is true. Yeah. Magnemite does not have green dreams. Yeah. Well, well, good luck to you, mate. Good luck to you with the uh, no problem. I'll. Uh, <laughs> you can probably see how I get on on Jousting Pavilion. Yeah. Oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there for oh, okay. I'll be yeah. looking forward to uh, seeing what random shit you put, <laughs> you put <laughs> every day. It'll be great fun. So uh, we're very excited to play with Exodia. When in doubt, play card advantage agendas. That's what the real lesson of first edition House Dreams was. You can play all these fun ones, but the best ones are probably just the ones that draw you cards. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so do that. There's our tip of the week for you. Uh, we haven't done one of those for a while uh, yeah go to the weekend Hale didn't make it on then 